Welcome to the Health Leader Forge, where today's health leaders help to forge the leaders of tomorrow. I'm your host, Mark Bonica, of the University of New Hampshire's Department of Health Management and Policy and the Northern New England Association of Healthcare Executives. Our website is healthleaderforge.org, where you can find information about subscribing to the podcast, links and information related to the episode, as well as our complete archives. Are you a leader? How much do you trust your subordinates? Enough to let them strap you to a litter and then let them lower you on a rope over the side of a 30-story skyscraper? Daniel Andrus, the fire chief for the city of Concord, New Hampshire, let his subordinates do exactly that. In today's podcast, Dan tells the story of his 37-year career as a firefighter. Dan has a long list of credentials, including master's degrees in public administration and economics. He is, as he puts it, a continual learner. In addition to his role as fire chief, he serves on the boards of a number of nonprofit organizations. This was one of the most educational podcasts for me that I've done so far because I knew very little about the organization and operations of the fire service. The fire service is a critical community resource that every healthcare executive should have an understanding of. So I was very pleased Dan took the time to share his story, and I hope it's useful to healthcare executives as they think about emergency preparedness. You are listening to the abridged version of the interview. An unabridged version is also available. Please see our website, healthleaderforge.org, for more information. Welcome to The Forge, Dan. Thank you, Mark. It's good to be here. So after nearly 30 years of service in Salt Lake with the Salt Lake City Fire Department, rising to the penultimate position in the department, or one of three, you left the city in 2008 and came here to Concord to be the fire chief. How did you make that, how did you decide to make that leap? I mean, you were from Salt Lake, you had 30 years of professional relationships, experience in the department. Uh, I can only imagine the kind of social capital that you had to kind of leave behind in order to come to a new, a new place, a new organization. What was that like? How did you make that decision? What was it like? Um, from the time I was in fourth grade, my, my teacher, Mrs. Student, introduced me to New England in her huh. geography course. And uh, I became enchanted with the idea about this part of the country that had so much history and so much natural beauty. And I wanted to come here. And in 1988, I met a woman from Cambridge, Massachusetts, who was working in Salt Lake. And a year later, we were married, and we always had the life plan that we would return here when that became possible for both of us. And that, that happened in 2008. I had been here, 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 as in Concord, almost every summer since 1988. And we uh -huh. were driving through. And the last couple of years, I had said, no, I would, I would do anything to come to work here. I love Concord. It is the of all the places in New England I had seen, it was the place that most enchanted me. I okay. used that with that word intentionally. Okay. So we had the chance to come here, and now she is close to her brother and sister. Both sets of parents have passed on, but we, now we are close to that side of the family, and pretty close to where she grew up. All right, that's neat. So before we actually talk about your new role here as fire chief, I understand you consider Concord enchanting, but what is unique about the city so for people who are not from New England and may not be familiar with Concord, what's unique about the city of Concord and in particular from your perspective as the fire chief? Concord is one of the most unique places I've ever seen. Uh, it's a capital city. We, uh, we have the urban peace. We have high-rise buildings. We have buildings that date back to the 18th century. 
we have a substantial amount of commercial structures that date back to the 19th century. So we have a problem, both our um, social capital and some problems with that in terms of fire protection, but it adds a beauty and charm to this city that just isn't found in a lot of western places. Uh, a lot of the city is forested. We have, in addition to my role as fire chief, I'm also the forest fire warden for oh. this community. Okay. And all of the officers here uh, are deputy fire wards. We have, you can get lost here. My daughter has been lost here. I will never admit to being lost, but I'll admit to uh, taking some walks through the forest for longer than I thought they would be. <laughs> and it has such a natural beauty to it. And from our location right now at Fire Headquarters, you can go five minutes and be in the middle of downtown, or you can go five minutes and be at Pentecook Lake and think that you were in the, the outer reaches of North Carolina somewhere, 100 miles from any kind of civilization. Okay. That's a remarkable combination. That's what I just love about this city and about New Hampshire. And you're responsible for the fire prevention and related fire issues for all of that. Yes, and part of that is I not only have the ability to appreciate what's out there, but I have some stewardship responsibilities for making sure that we don't damage that lovely environment. Okay. So what is the job of fire chief and how is it different in Concord uh, than in Salt Lake? Um, Concord is a, a much smaller department. Salt Lake City has 14 stations, about 350 employees. Concord has 101 employees and four stations, so it's about between about a quarter of the size of the department I was used to, with correspondingly smaller staffs. Uh, we had an entire floor of the public safety building when I was there devoted to fire administration, and the bureaus of EMS and technology and the other administrative components. And here we all fit into one building. We're just all in an old waterworks building, and it's a smaller staff, which I think gives some incredible advantages to someone coming into this. But the, the scale is very different here. The job is surprisingly just not that much different. Um, okay. There were three of us who left Salt Lake City in 2008-2009, and we're all fire chiefs in different communities, and we stay in touch, and we are amazed by how similar the problems are to what we had in Salt Lake, and how they remain similar to what each other is facing. So even though it's a, the scale is different, the scope is essentially is very similar. Yes, absolutely. Okay. Um, I had a fire chief who left Salt Lake in 2000, went to Eugene, Oregon, and I called him up after six months and he said, if I closed my eyes, I couldn't tell what department I was in because the same issues, the same challenges keep coming up okay. across the board. So um, we've talked a little bit about your battalions. We've talked a little bit about headquarters. Um, one of the things that you said to me when we had lunch a few weeks ago uh, was that the only requirement to work in headquarters was that an individual had to be smarter than you. In my experience, not every leader feels that way about their subordinates. <laughs> well, um, uh, why we do you? We actually had to raise that bar a little bit. That was too low a bar, so now they have to be twice as smart as me. <laughs> and now I'm thinking that perhaps we need to raise it to multiples of that. Um, this was something that I started talking about in fire prevention where I was the generalist leader, but if you had to work there, you really needed to have uh, mastery of some area of the fire code, and we were specialists. Um, that remains the case. Um, we have hired some extraordinary people in my time here, and if there is a legacy and a pride that I, that I would say would be something that would endure beyond my leaving the job, it would be the people who have come here during my tenure. And I mentioned the deputy chief, who is uh, both very young, very, very well educated, and a very productive phenomenally productive member of the city management team as well as the department management team. Okay. So 
Yeah, we have, we've hired some incredibly smart people. Four years ago, we hired an administrative specialist and in her slightly less than four-year tenure with us, um, she had a master's degree in business administration with an emphasis in marketing. And she had undergraduate work in history, which um, really was very um, exciting that she would have that interest as well. But she brought in um, about $700,000 in grant money to us. Okay. And her legacy continues. Thanks to her, we have all new breathing equipment and we will shortly have every fire station in the city sprinklered. We also have very up-to-date water rescue equipment and she was great at that. She was great at managing social media. She was great at so many different things which frankly I would be not at all competent in. And I'm not sure other members of the staff would, would even come close to what she brought to us. But we've hired some good people and the person who replaced her has a different but equally robust set of skills. Neat. You started to mention your deputy chief works with some of the other parts of government. Yes. I wanted to ask you about which departments in the city government do you spend most of your time coordinating with? We spend a lot of our time this morning. Just this morning we spent time with human resources because we have three job selection processes going on for vacancies in our departments. We spend a lot of time with human resources. We spend a lot of time with the um, fleet part of our general services department, which is the traditional public works. They also maintain our fleet. Uh, we spend a lot of time with code enforcement, making sure that we're coordinating our work with theirs so that our customers have a seamless experience, so they're not getting shuffled or taking an undue number of steps between departments to get the services they need to build or invest in the city. We try to make that as customer friendly as possible. Okay. And we, we all spend a lot of time in City Hall. We, just, uh, we are a fire department, but we are a department of a municipal corporation called the City of Concord. And okay. our leader is the city manager. Okay. And so is that who you report to? Yes. Mm -hmm. Okay. What is a city manager and how, uh, how does that position, who, how does that position come about? Uh, Concord has a council manager form of government, so we have an elective count, elected council of 15 members, a mayor, four at-large councillors, and 10 ward councillors who oversee the city, who are our governing body. They set policy, they adopt the budget, and they really set the direction for the city. They hire a city manager who is responsible for the day-to-day -day operations of the city and for making sure that the efforts of all the city departments, and there are about 13, are aligned with the vision and direction of the council. Okay. And, and he does a really phenomenal job at that. So is, the, so is this kind of like a CEO board relationship? Exactly. That, was, that okay. is exactly the model. And, okay. and in Concord it works very, very well. Okay. Is there a role for the state in your job? And do you, do you spend time interacting with the state? Is there a state level fire marshal? Or yes. is there mm -hmm. policy coming from the state? And how, how often do you interact with the state? Frequently. Uh, we do have a state fire marshal. And um, he and his staff are located in the city of Concord. And uh, we saw his staff on Thursday night. We usually will see him, but he is away on vacation. But we work very closely with the state on fire investigations, on fire inspections. Because we have so much state property in Concord, we are in almost a constant dialogue with them okay. about fire protection issues of state properties. So part of the reason that you interact with the state so much is that's they're here. Yes, they are. Yeah, <laughs> but, and they're a big part of here because yeah, we're the capital city. Yeah, yeah. 
But I, I guess I, when I thought of that question, I was thinking in terms of kind of a hierarchy within the state. Is there a, do, you, do they set policy or anything like that? So if I was in mm -hmm. Manchester, for example, where there aren't as many state agencies, would I, would I also, if you were the fire chief for Manchester, uh, would you also have that kind of interaction with the state? We don't so much report to them, but there are duties delegated to cities, and okay. we find not so much um, a hierarchical role, but a collaborative role with the state. Um, we also work closely with the State Fire Academy, which also conveniently is in Concord, very close to Director Deborah Pendergast and her staff. Uh, one of those um, bureaus within um, the Fire Academy is the Bureau of Emergency Medical Services. Very, very close with them. We spend a lot of time interacting with the State Medical Control Board and being part of the process of protocol and policy development with them. So. You we mentioned the state, but it's not, like, it's not like they are dictating to us about what should happen. Okay. It's more of a collaborative relationship. Okay. Uh, you mentioned the State Fire Academy. Is that where, if, if I want to be a firefighter in the state of New Hampshire, do I have to go get my training at the State Fire Academy? You have to go there or someplace equivalent to it that's recognized by them. It's okay. equivalent to the, to the curriculum they teach. Okay. Is, so. is there more than one in the state of New Hampshire? More than uh, there one op is, option? There is one academy, but they have some satellite sites, and they have recently fulfilled a long-term goal of opening a secondary facility in the North Country, okay. in Bethlehem. So, okay. because the travel distances are so long for people to get here, yeah, um, it will really be a phenomenal move forward for them to be able to use the North Country facility. But it's actually, but it's actually a satellite. It's not. It's it's part of the New Hampshire right academy. Okay. Exactly. Interesting. Okay. So now in your role as, as the fire chief, how do you interface with the healthcare system? Uh, we are, have a very close relationship with Concord Hospital, which I enjoy a lot. Um, their medical director actually has an office a few feet from where we're sitting right now. Oh. And uh, he's not there very much. He's a, a working emergency department physician. But we wanted to court him office space, and uh, we have certainly provided him with uh, radio and other tools to facilitate his role. So we work closely with Concord Hospital. I'll be up at the hospital tomorrow morning participating in the community needs assessment and we really work hand in hand with them on so many initiatives. Virtually we're a part of the healthcare system that delivers patients, the vast majority of patients we see go to them. So okay. we have a very close relationship with um, emergency department staff, provider staff, and, uh, and I think something we'll get into in a few minutes of really expanding the relationship among providers in Concord, which is exciting and challenging for us. Okay. So direct care we talked about. How about public health? Do you have a, do you have a role with public health? Yes, actually the other desk that's close to here was for the last five years the, uh, the seat for the Capital Area Public Health Network. Um, they are a, a a state agency, they're actually funded by the state through a host agency, and that host agency did not have adequate office space, so the provider or the coordinator for public health was located physically in Concord Fire Department headquarters for about five years. Wow, okay. And the room we're sitting in is their, their emergency operations center for major events that require sheltering and other public health components. But that function was here. I'm, on a, I'm a member of the board of directors of the Capillary Public Health Network. Um, I also serve on the um, Granite United Way Public Health Advisory Council Executive Committee, which is writing the community plan, which dovetails with the state health improvement plan. So we're closely allied with public health. It's one of the organizations I belong to, and uh, we have a close relationship um, both for emergency planning, 
but also for anything that's proactively seeking to um, control or prevent disease, injury, and other health emergencies. Wow, okay. So that, that brings me to a question I wanted to ask you about. One of the things that I noticed uh, in reviewing your CV is um, you're very involved in a lot of community activities. In addition to being the fire chief for Concord, you're very actively involved in a number of agencies such as the New Hampshire Public Health Association, the Northern New England Metropolitan Medical Response Steering Committee, the Concord Coalition to End Homelessness, and the Concord, Concord Rotary Club. And this isn't kind of new for you. You were involved in a lot of community activities back in Salt Lake as well. Why is it important for someone who wants to be a leader in the community to get involved with community service organizations, either directly uh, related to healthcare or not? Any executive in a business, nonprofit, or government has to know their customer. And this is a way for me to know my customers. I serve the city, I am responsible for providing uh, fire protection, emergency medical services, and these give me a way to interact with people from faith communities and the business community. And I'll identify, especially the Rotary Club, um, I have worked side by side with the executive director of the YMCA and the president of the Chamber of Commerce uh, working in the city's, um, I will say soup kitchen, but it's so much more than that, in a feeding mission for the hungry of the city. And we engage in so many community service projects, and it reminds me again and again that my role is service. Okay. It, you know, it's, it's leadership, but it's all about service. It, everything yeah. is about service. And especially the Rotary Club has given me such a phenomenal opportunity to experience so many different levels of service in all that they do for the city of Concord. And I feel um, it's a little bit of payback for me okay. on a debt. That for all that they do for the city, I think I'm, I'm yeah. glad to take some of my time and invest in the work they're doing. Okay. Has your involvement in community organizations always been supported by the departments that you've worked for? Absolutely. Um, the city manager articulates um, to all of us that our jobs go beyond the eight to five range, that we are not simply here as functionaries in, in offices, that we engage the community and we engage its activities, its people, its problems, and its solutions, which is why my work on the Homeless Coalition is something that he's been an ardent supporter of. That he's, it's, it's a city initiative, but it's also something that um, gets some city resources as well. And it's pretty clear from him that the community is very, very big for him. Okay. And he wants us out there. Part of that is it gives him more reach and more understanding because he can't possibly be everywhere. And having a department heads who are engaged, like uh, one of my colleagues is one of the shelter managers, the, the homeless shelter, and uh, one of our department heads. And we each have different things that we're involved in. And um, between all of it, it comes off as a, a pretty cool place to work because we are engaged with the community. These are more than jobs for all of us. That's, I imagine your interactions with these other organizations must give you some insights as well into kind of leadership, operations, other opportunities to learn. Absolutely. Uh, one of the, of the most um, prevalent was my work with the Concord Coalition and Homelessness, which last year hired a new executive director, a woman who comes to us with a law degree and a public health degree and a background in housing. And her work at coordination and moving things forward has been nothing short of phenomenal. And we, she is moving rapidly to rehouse people in the city who are homeless, and we are light years ahead of where we would have been without her. So it's a great opportunity to see other leaders in action and as a board member, 
not to sit back, but to appreciate how much work is happening in the city, um, outside the, the role of city government to make this a better place. And does this help you? I mean, obviously, you're you're meeting a lot of folks. You're 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 extending your network. Mm-hmm. That must be helpful to you as a leader, uh, as someone who has who has to be able to interact with. Yes, earlier uh, earlier you posed the uh, the very relevant and timely question about uh, leaving Salt Lake City, where I had worked uh, professionally for 29 years, where I had grown up, and where I knew everybody. That's that's some hyperbole, but you really get to know sure. the players. And I came here where I didn't have a lot of connection. And through this community work, and it's taken some years, it's built both recognition and relationships among a lot of people in Concord. And that for me is an enduring piece of why I love this work so much, that not only the relationships with our employees who are very committed to this place, but with people outside the organization and outside the city who are outside of city government who are doing so much to make this a better place to live. So you're talking about homelessness and the issues around um, around that and and using resources perhaps not in as, as efficient a way as possible I think brings us to this this issue that actually uh, Steve Norton who was a, mm-hmm. a guest on the show a few months ago had recommended I speak to you about uh, because you're trying to do some innovative healthcare delivery here in Concord uh, and working uh, with other activities in the city. Can you talk a bit about uh, what you are working on uh, within the city as far as leveraging your EMS assets in the community? Sure. Uh, the initiative goes by the name of Mobile Integrated Healthcare, and it was formerly known as Community Paramedicine. It's the recognition that our department has a couple dozen um, providers at the paramedical level, and everyone who works um, in the uniform capacity on the street is some kind of medical provider. And finding a way to use those resources to address um, pressing medical care needs in our community. And the particular form this is taking in Concord is that we are working closely with other service providers, including Concord Hospital, which has a new CEO who is very, very committed to a primary care model, and working with the Concord Regional Visiting Nurses Association, who provide care to so many members of our community with um, some difficulties relating to aging or disability or some other issue that causes them to need nursing services. And with Riverbend Community Mental Health, which is dealing with people who, um, with from issues ranging to substance use, to behavioral problems, to all the range of mental illnesses. And all of us are sitting at a table going, how do we make this work best? We have, we all have providers. And in a large degree, it's the same patient population. And how do we work best to make sure that our patients are receiving the most effective care. It's driven a lot by accountable care because now hospitals will not only not be rewarded, but will be penalized for early readmission and for bad outcomes. And is there a role for the Concord Fire Department and its medical providers in that kind of system? So we're very early. I wish I had more detail about what it's going to look like. We okay. don't know yet. Okay. Um, I know how it looks like in other um, cities and towns. And right now it's still taking form here, but we know that it involves issues around mental and behavioral health and also around dealing with chronic conditions. So our job will change. How it will change is still in flux, but it's an exciting and engaging opportunity and we're going to be doing so much more beyond what the department already does, which is 8,000 calls a year to serve our community. Excellent. We've been talking about different organizations. I want to talk for a minute about organizational culture, corporate mm-hmm. culture. Mm-hmm. You've had a chance to work in 
in, in a number of, in two, in two different fire departments, but you've also moved through many different organizations as a leader. What is good corporate culture or organizational culture? Good corporate culture comes, stems from the core values of the organization. Ours include dedication, integrity, compassion, and courage. And when our organizational culture is at its best, it is reflecting those values. Uh, just this morning, I had the chance to stop before I came in to work at headquarters at a fire station that uh, eight days ago on a Sunday went so far above and beyond caring for a patient. It's a new patient. She's an addict. She's very young. She's on the streets, and she called for services three times that Sunday. And one of our lieutenants made an outreach to a local shelter that deals um, that they thought could help her. And interestingly, the paramedic team who had been on her um, also, the ambulance team also, went there and visited saying, what can you do for this person? What can we do for this person? And that reflected so much more than just simply treating the patient and leaving the hospital. This was really people taking the initiative to care for somebody. That's where organizational culture is at its best and those values are taken to um, new levels. And that's when, when our behavior matches our values and our beliefs. That's healthy corporate culture. How do you shape that? How do you encourage it, make it grow in the way that you want to grow rather than in an unhealthy way? Um, you articulate that. You, you take every opportunity. First of all, you articulate it specifically. And before I came here, the leaders of the organization were in a workshop where they developed um, a vision statement, a mission statement, and core values. And we had those printed and posted in every fire station. And you'll notice that when you walk through the door of fire headquarters, that's the first thing you see. You reward that. You, you take those behaviors. And you talk about it. We talk about it in staff meetings. We've had officer meetings we talked about, you know, how are we doing with the core values? And how is leadership modeling those? How do we reflect those? And then just, just rewarding behaviors like that and getting people to think in terms of those four values, which are fewer than most organizations have, but they are remarkably comprehensive in touching the major areas of our work. I want to ask about um, the role of women and minorities in yes. firefighting. Mm -hmm. uh, you've been in, in, fire, in, in the fire service for uh, over 30 years. How has the role of women and minorities changed in firefighting over your tenure? And specifically, how many women firefighters does the Concord Fire Department actually employ right now? Sure, uh, things have changed a lot. When I tested, there was a woman um, who tested with us who was not hired. We thought it novel in 1978 at the time that a woman would aspire to this position. Um, seven years later, the department hired its first female firefighters, and my experience with women in the fire service has been nothing less than tremendously positive. Uh, I was scanning with an app last night, uh, Salt Lake City, and listening to one of my favorite captains, uh, Ginger Bearclaw, who is uh, just on the radio, um, just radiates energy and passion for her job. And I called her up and said, what a pleasure it is to, through technology, to continue to listen to you. Um, you mentioned Concord. There were two women firefighters when I came. Concord's had a good history. Uh, a deputy chief retired in 2004 was a woman, Sandra Hillsgrove. And the two women who were here have since uh, retired from the department and moved on. And currently we don't have any females on the line, which um, is something we hope to correct. We hope that, and part of that is working with people and we established an explorer post in 2010 and a high school program in 2014. We have nine graduates from our explorer post who are women. 
and we have had, I think, a total of six or seven women in the high school program. But we want to start young. We want to reach back into high school and have women be um, excited and motivated by the challenge of working in this profession. And the director of the State Fire Academy is a woman who was formerly deputy fire chief of Laconia, and before that was in the dairy fire department. And there are a number of great success stories out there. Uh, Lieutenant Jess Wyman in Nashua and Lisa, Lisa Baldini in Laconia. And uh, there's so many women who have reached officer and chief officer roles and who serve as firefighters in the community, just around the, the communities around here. That's something, that's a value we promote and value. And I hope that the coming years see an influx of women back into Concord Fire, that we're successful in in taking those people who've shown an interest and bring them through explorer posts and through high school programs and giving them the tools and more important the motivation to jump into this career with both feet. So talking about this career, what, what draws people in to be a firefighter in your experience? And, um, and, and then why do people stay? My experience in the military was people join for one reason and they often stay for yes. a different reason. Is that true here? People join because they think this is gonna be such a tremendously exciting career. And probably for the first few months or years it is. And then it becomes like any other job. And it becomes somewhat routine. But what you find at some point, and for me this is like a mid-career discovery, the satisfaction of serving a community brings so much to you in psychological income. Um, beyond, beyond the actual dollar income, the fact that you're serving in this role is so very important that a lot of us have problems transitioning out and taking off the uniform and hanging it up. For many of us, this becomes so much part of our identity and we are recognized as people in the community who are there in the stations, ready to serve, night and day, 24 hours a day. And that's what really brings the, that's the secret of this job. Yeah, is that why people stay, you think? Yes, meaning. It's, it's our uh, meaning. our continual search as human beings for, for finding meaning in this universe. And if you are engaged in a profession that is constantly helping other people at a number of levels, You'll find it. You've now had about seven years to grow uh, into this position as chief. It's the top job in the department. Uh, what surprised you about becoming the chief? How is that? How is it different than what you might have expected? I really expected that um, my energy level would draw down over the years. I find myself more fired up and engaged. Okay. in my 37th year yeah. than ever before. To get up in the morning, to come to work. Last night it was just exciting to think about what's lying ahead this week. Some of the, the meetings and the challenges, and even in my role, which is less actively engaged in the emergency work of the department, but still there's so much good stuff going on. And each week brings us inches closer to the road we have to travel to become the agency that we want to be. But it's still exciting, and I'm surprised that even, even this far into it, the passion's still there, and the joy's still there. That's great. Let me ask you very, well, let's close on talking about leadership just a little bit, specifically. You've talked about it some already, of course. Could you summarize your leadership philosophy? Let people grow into the people that they are. Okay. And that'll vary from person to person. It's very individual. Give people the feedback and the tools, and uh, we've had the opportunity in this department to do some test projects and have people do different profiles of both their management, leadership, and communication style and their emotional intelligence to understand themselves better 
and to best exploit their strengths, develop their weaknesses, and become more effective. And we're not anywhere near where we need to be in institutionalizing that. And that'll be some of my work over the next few months is to find a leader in this department. I found that leader who's going to lead that effort. But give people responsibility. Let them grow. Um, I mentioned to you that about the battalion chief. He was actually, he and I, he was a paramedic on my crew um, 27 years ago. Um, he had more energy than any other five human beings I knew. And today he's the fire chief of Salt Lake City. And I let him drive for the first time. And uh, at a certain point, I was convinced that, that was going to be the, the close of both of our careers. <laughs> but uh, he did well. We trusted and, him. Uh, and now he's got the top job. And everything he was, that I gave him to do as a young firefighter, he did. And he got all the way to the top. So develop people. Invest yourself in developing people. What makes a good leader? What are the characteristics and behaviors of a good leader? Trust, first of all. Um, and the adage that I use is that um, people don't really care what you know, but they want to know that you care. And you they really care about them. And part of our fire service ethos is that we're a family. We live together for 24 hours at a time. We eat together. We, we live a normal life together as a community of, uh, of people who are dedicated to serving for 24 hours at a time, and sometimes more. And um, that's the ethos that we try to really carry on, is, is that sort of caring for each other and taking care and watching out for each other. As the department chief, you're a leader of leaders. Mm -hmm. What do you look for when you're hiring a leader, a subordinate leader? I, I was actually sharing with the union president, who is a great leader, um, on Friday. I said, you know, half of our job is firing people up and getting them passionate about it, and half of it's calming them down. Because I, I look for people who can do that. I look for people with the emotional intelligence skills to both engage people um, proactively in the work of the organization and for the ability to stop negative talk, negative emotion from overwhelming people. So those are, those are the two things I'm looking for. And I'm looking for people to develop other people. Okay. Um, you mentioned a few times mentors. You mm -hmm. talked about them as uh, professors were mentors, some other, some other leaders were mentors. What does a good mentor do? A good mentor maintains a light touch with the, with the person who is being mentored. They are, they are there as a resource. Their involvement is intentional but occasional. Uh, they don't try and micromanage the person. And they allow the person to grow and sometimes to stumble. And, uh, and most of my good mentors uh, spend some time allowing me to make mistakes that were learning activities for me. I've learned a lot from mistakes. I've made a lot of mistakes. And, uh, and part of that is allowing people to grow through that to see what doesn't work. Yeah. I think it was Edison who people said, were you discouraged by the fact that you took so long to invent the light bulb? He said, no, not at all. I was constantly finding ways that didn't work, but I could cross them out. And <laughs> right. I think that's the way of looking at it. So speaking of mistakes and, and, and learning from mistakes, can you give an example of a difficult leadership lesson that you had to learn perhaps the hard way? This was actually a question that was posted in my captain's exam and it was followed by a very, very long pause and I was asked, um, are you trying to think of one? And I said, no, I'm trying to pick one from the many. <laughs> um, part of it is being conscious and aware of working with people in interpersonal relationships. And sometimes we fall down, sometimes we become so self-centered, we stop listening. And like most of us, we, we stop listening 
we're not so much listening as waiting for the next thing that we're going to say. We're kind of formulating that next piece. Feeling to listen to people has been uh, one of my mistakes, one of my learnings in trying to be more present and open and hearing what people have to say. I think if you master that, you'll be a great leader. Okay. I think that person will, will be a great leader. Does the department here have a formal mentoring program, something outside of the supervisory relationship? We have a very strong informal program and a formal program to the extent that as people are placed on promotional lists, we have a mentoring program where they're assigned to a senior officer to do that. It could uh, benefit from more. It could really, it could be grown profitably, but we do have a, a program at least as good as most places have, mm -hmm. but there's potential for more growth there. Okay. But we do... So, so someone is, is, is assigned a, a senior officer who's not necessarily their, their supervisor or are they their supervisor? Uh, typically they are their supervisor. Okay. We try and align people and we try and make very intentional because we do promotion from lists, we do testing and then we establish promotional lists. Okay. And people on lists are, um, we are very intentional about developing them. And it's just most things that can be improved. Sure, sure. So, closing question. What advice do you have for someone who might be thinking, after they listen to your, to your career story, about trying to follow your footsteps and go into firefighting and emergency medical services? Um, I hope the takeaway here is, boy, that guy is passionate about what he does. Um, I invite people to consider this career. And I invite people who um, maybe didn't consider this before to look at it and say, you know, this could be a way that I could, I could give back. And in giving back, you'll get so much more back. But I would encourage people to take a look at it. We have people from all walks of life, from so many academic disciplines. And interestingly, one phenomenon we've had is a number of people who are mid-career who are coming to work for us. Uh, we have people who are experts in, say, the computer industry. But, and even though they found technical expertise, income, and sometimes very good income, there was still something missing. And in coming here, they found what was missing, which was that sense of meaning and purpose and really that deep satisfaction from serving others. So consider it. Thank you so much for taking your time today. I think, I can't imagine anyone would come away from this podcast not uh, appreciating the passion that you bring to your work. The passion is fueled by the phenomenal people that I work with here, uh, both within Concord Fire and within city government and larger fire service, and it remains a pleasure. Thank you. Thank you. You've been listening to the Health Leader Forge, a joint production of the College of Health and Human Services at the University of New Hampshire and the Northern New England Association of Healthcare Executives. Please go to our website, healthleaderforge.org, for more information or to leave comments about today's podcast. Look for Health Leader Forge podcasts on iTunes, Stitcher, SoundCloud, and other podcast distribution sites. Thanks for being a part of the Health Leader Forge community, and we'll talk with you again in about two weeks.